No, she, um, she would do anything for you. And you just wanted to be as independent as humanly possible. Um, Because the message that I had gotten was that no one was going to take care of me but me. And that I was just going to be betrayed, disappointed, blindsided, and not taken care of. And no matter how much she was there for me, I couldn't allow it. I couldn't see her. It would be too much vulnerability for you. You're listening to Rebel Heart Radio, hosted by nutritional therapist Cassie Knavel and professional esthetician and makeup artist Genevieve Blair. A lifestyle podcast about clean living, making money, and badass people that inspire us endlessly. We created this podcast to walk through the tough moments of life with you, inspire you to live more intentionally, and frankly, because we like to talk. Thanks for joining us today. Make sure to catch our weekly episode and subscribe to us anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you have iTunes, we would be forever grateful for your review on our podcast. Let's get to our latest episode. The materials and content within this podcast are for general information and educational purposes only and are not to be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Rebel Heart Radio. We are so excited to continue in our journey through the Enneagram over the first part of this year. Hashtag Ennea New Year. Make sure you're using it. Yes, I clapped in the background because I'm so excited. And we are going to continue our deep dive with a little fun in Enneagram and relationships. And in our cases, Enneagram and marriage. And over the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear from my husband and myself, which we're going to dig into today. I'm very excited for that. And then next week, you'll hear from Genevieve and Skylar in their version of Enneagram and Relationships. And we're coming at you with what we've learned from learning about the Enneagram and how we've applied that to our marriages and how it's changed our relationships and impacted those and My hope is that your takeaway from this is that, you know, you can take something, you know, a tool like the Enneagram and be able to apply that to your own relationship and improve that. I think I'm sure my husband can agree uh, during our conversation today that most of the most of the mishaps and poor communication that have happened over the course of what's I mean, essentially what, 15 years of marriage. Sounds about right. Yeah, we, um, you know, I think if we had known what we know now, things would be very different. And I think a lot of people have that conversation around marriage anyway. You know, we learn a lot just being in relationship with one another, like outside of these kind of personality assessments. But digging into it, it's been uh, really transformative for us personally and for me personally, as you guys have heard about on the podcast. And if you're new to the podcast, welcome. We are going heavy into the Enneagram. A really good place to start is the beginning of this year's episodes on the Enneagram Deep Dive. And today we're going to focus in on on marriage and then a little bit with our types. So I'm a type eight. My husband's a type nine. His name is Josh. He's here with us. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> He's like, am I allowed to talk now? Um, and Josh is a teacher. He's a coach. He's a dad and all around awesome human. And we have been married for 15 years this summer. 
It's a long time. It's a long ass time. We've been together for almost 18. So we were babies. We were little babies when we got together. Um, and if you want to hear a little bit more about, you know, some, our, our relationship and, and that dynamic of kind of getting married really young and him being married to a very strong woman, which we will talk about obviously today and in, in reference to the Enneagram, uh, we dug into that in episode 39 that we did with Skylar and Genevieve. That was a lot of fun and a little bit more official. And tonight we're just literally, we're kid free. We're chilling in our own house. And we're in this alternate universe where Josh gets to enter my world of work, which is really fun. I don't ever see this whole like setup yeah. going on in yeah. here with the microphones and and so it's a it's a fun fun moment to to see her in action. <laughs> I appreciate that. I uh, yeah, normally this all kind of happens behind the scenes for you. It's all I'm packing up the equipment by the time you get home and and done with it and share my little takeaways but I'm often on podcast recording days like kind of done talking I know you'll get home and be like how was the podcast who did you interview what happened and I'm like blah they're very short one to two word answers (laughs) typically I have no more words left yeah she's done (laughs) because we generally record multiple episodes at once so so before we get into kind of this conversation around the Enneagram and marriage We are going to actually just, I'm going to dig in really quickly to a very brief type description of my type and Josh's type. And so I am a type eight, as many of you know, if you're not new to the podcast, you definitely know. Uh, And Josh is a type nine. So type nines are uh, the type of people who are very receptive to their environment and they really downplay their own presence. They can be extremely loving and down to earth, very modest and trusting, or on the flip side, they can be stubborn, lazy, and asleep to themselves. And what drives a type nine to think, feel, and behave in particular ways are kind of digging into that core fear, core desire, core weakness that we went through with uh, Jess in our kind of Enneagram deep dive episodes. And so if you grab episode 89, that is where we talk about the eight and the nine. So if you yourself are an eight or a nine or you're in relationship with one, it's a really good place to land before digging into this particular episode. Normally I wouldn't have you like stop and go back, but maybe stop and go back if you haven't yet and you want that info. But just in in short, uh, the core fear of a nine is being in conflict, tension or discord, feeling shut out and overlooked, losing connection with others. And the core desire is having inner stability and peace of mind. And the core weakness is sloth. So remaining in an unrealistic and idealistic world in order to keep the peace. They tend to remain easygoing and they don't want to be disturbed even by their own anger and tend to fall asleep to their passions, abilities, desires, needs, and worth by merging with others. And the type eight, which is me, that's the protective challenger. So the type nine is a peaceful mediator. I didn't actually say the name. And the type eight is the protective challenger. That's me. Eights are um, people who that who really fear being weak. Um, we fear being vulnerable or harmed. And we tend to create an image that's extremely strong, able to prevail. And we're very determined and committed to those who are innocent. And if we're not doing well, it's pretty ugly. <laughs> uh, we're vengeful, excessive, and destructive. And... Type 8's core fear is being weak, powerless, harmed, controlled, vulnerable, manipulated, and left at the mercy of injustice. That makes my blood boil just saying it out loud (laughs) as 
sounded pretty even keel, but inside I was like, oh Lord. Ugh. And then core desire is protecting themselves and those in their inner circle. And then core weakness is luster excess. So constantly desiring intensity, control and power and pushing themselves willfully on life and people in order to get what they desire. It's a lot. I feel like our relationship is uh, very exposed right now. Right now. Just like all we did was read the type descriptions and yeah. it's, it's done. Like, that's, that's us. That's there's the episode. We're done. Hey, it's us. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. It's how did, how did you feel when you first learned you were an Enneagram nine? How was that? I was actually really excited to have some kind of additional understanding to why I do what I do and what motivates me to either achieve or choose to do nothing um, and and why that might be, like why I am the way I am. Mm-hmm. So knowing about my type was liberating. Did you feel like you had like your own piece of the pie? Like it was just... So nine struggles so much with yeah, taking up I, space. It was I like, oh, here's here's space. Like somebody saw me, yeah, and I existed, mm-hmm. and other people exist in that same space that yeah. I do, and they understand me. And then I realized that a lot of the people that I understand also are nines. So, I I get it. That's really profound. <laughs> It's it's a very team team oriented number. Mm-hmm. It's it's wanting to see everybody else's perspective, yeah, and incorporate it um, into a group theme, yeah, so that the group can move forward instead of the individual. Yeah, I like that. I'm just thinking about we learned about the enneagram when we were together, and I. I had heard of it and I had kind of like explored it a little bit and had known a few people who were eights and I was a lot like them, but also in some ways I was like, I don't want to be like them in that way. <laughs> and so I kind of, I, I pushed that out of my mind a little bit and just hadn't really dug into it yet. And I didn't know, I didn't know really what the Enneagram was other than like another personality assessment that tells you who you are. Um, or explain something about you. And I've always felt a little more seen when I did like the Myers-Briggs or, but it was never surprising as to like, yeah, I'm a driven person. I'm an extroverted and yes, yeah, I'm social. It's whatever, you know. No, I think The Four Tendencies <clears throat> was a good book that. That was really impactful for us. Yeah. And it was like, oh, here's another window into why we do what we do and what yeah. makes us tick. Yeah. And we both, you and I both really like learning about that just in general why people make decisions well, I mean even when I was studying economics in college you would we, we would have really good discussions around that and I re- I'll never forget I'm like you know nerding out with my economist like magazine and you're picking it up and just like devouring it oh I love that magazine. more than me more yeah. than me mine was like okay A I'm gonna go edition it was well, great I was, I was gonna go into my environmental section and you know dig out what I needed to for my papers for you know environmental economics and just move on with my life and you were like no no did you read this part and I was like oh gosh okay but we we loved the explanation behind like you know this is why consumers make choices and this is why people do what they do I think it's fascinating and so back to I mean we were together um, at our friend Dallas and Katie's house when we learned about the Enneagram in more depth. And the interesting part of that for me personally is that Dallas is an eight and then I'm an eight. 
And he didn't necessarily flip to that chapter when he gave me the book, but he opened it up to the, uh, the, the, not the, just the type descriptions. We didn't go there first. He just went to the list of statements that said, if this happens, I feel this way. If this happens, then I do this. It was just, you know, a list and it was similar for the, for the nine and the, and the eight. And I remember reading that and then just looking up to you and saying, doesn't everybody think this way? And you're like, no, no, (laughs) no, absolutely not. And I was like, oh, okay. I think I'm an eight. (laughs) And Dallas was like, yeah, I know. Yeah. He had already pinpointed you. But eights know other eights. I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then the reasons in which then Dallas made a lot more sense to me Mm -hmm. because he didn't always make sense to me. That's the really interesting part. And because we're both eights and I, I think that just shows, you know, the, this, the, the variability in color and all of that within, within one type, we're all, we can be very different and be in the same type. We can even be very different and be in the same type with the same wing. It's, you know, I, I have a couple of friends who are in this space of being an eight and we're very different. We just are, but you know, we have those similar core things that are true those for core us. Those core motivators. Yeah, that- and it's really fascinating. But it was it was especially, I think, impactful for me to learn about the Enneagram with our friends with whom have been married the longest out of all of our other friends. You know, it was kind of us and then they got married shortly after. And... And they're people we really trust. Really so. trust. In very deep, very real relationship with them. And so... For me, it was like, well, if they tell me this is important, I'm going to take a look at it. Like, that's just, I just, okay, sounds great. I'll do it. Um, And I remember having this conversation around vulnerability with Dallas. And I read the type eight description and I was like, well, I just feel like I'm more vulnerable than other eights. And he just laughed. And he said, no, no. He's like, he, he did his analogy with like, you have the, uh, you know, you have your, your, village and then you have your moat around your castle walls and you've got your wall and you've got your courtyard and you've got your actual castle and then you have your your tower and he's like you just have a bigger a bigger um you have a more of an extension you know some people have their core people in just the tower and then some people have it within the walls of the fortress and then some people it's on the outside of the moat and he kind of extended it out and out He's like, mine is just this tower (laughs) and yours is a little wider than that. And then later, and this, you know, wasn't in this conversation with our friend, but it was later on when I learned deeply about the Enneagram. And I've said this on the podcast many times, but I think it it begs to be said every time we talk about the Enneagram and, and type eight specifically is there's a huge difference between transparency and vulnerability. And that was really big for me. Just having a moment where I was, I, I said to myself like, oh, wow. I am not vulnerable at all. I am no. simply transparent. You're and very transparent <laughs> to everyone. But right. But it's always something that I've solved or brought myself out of. And so for me, it was like, oh, crap, I got a lot of work to do. Like, that's how I felt when I really learned about the Enneagram. I was like, shit, I have so much stuff. To you don't do. even like being vulnerable with me. I don't. No, I don't. And it's not even... It's not even like I'll be I'll be real with you. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest. That's transparency, though. Yeah, but I I the 
being in touch with the feeling, the feeling part of me. Yeah, is how do you difficult. feel about that? <laughs> I feel about that. Don't Ian Morgan cron yeah. me, okay? <laughs> Take a minute and think about if it. If you guys haven't listened, the Typology podcast is a great um, Enneagram podcast to listen to. And we were listening to his interview with um, Jeremy and Audrey Roloff, and they're an eight nine, female eight, male nine, and in their marriage, and he. <laughs> He was talking to Audrey and said something to the effect of, well, how does that make you feel? And her response was like, I don't I think. know. I, I think I. No, how do you, how no, do you, how feel? Do you feel? And she's just like, I don't, I don't know. Like, let me think. I don't, how do I feel? I have no idea. And that just, I just laughed because most of the time I don't, I don't actually know how I feel. It takes you a while. Because I'm not in touch with my feelings. Unless the immediate feeling, if there's anger, that's how I feel. But then the question is like, why, <laughs> right? Why is there anger? And then if the, if it's a different emotion, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it is. And I've just always described it as like, I'm the guy in the relationship, <laughs> but it's, it's just doesn't do it justice because you're not the girl in the relationship. You're not, you know, and I hate that. I hate gender normative shit anyway. You just threw it out there though, didn't you? I mean, it's a good discussion to have, but I, that was the way I explained it, explained it away in my mind before I, I was see. just like, I have more masculine energy and I do, but that doesn't mean that I can't, you know, dip into that feminine energy, that side. And we all have both of those, but anyways, so yeah, I felt, um, as I've mentioned before on the podcast, like I, I felt very seen and more understood than I ever have. And it's it wasn't been a good tool. Yeah. And it wasn't even a person who understood me. It was like a thing. It was like, it was a, it was a, a, a school a of movement. thought, yeah. <laughs> a school of thought, you know, something to study. Mm -hmm. And I was, I just got so excited. I love personal development anyway. Well, but. that, that book, I, I remember looking at the back of it and seeing all the, um, so like the strengths of the nine and the weaknesses of the nine mm. And what they look like in their most unhealthy state. And it kind of shook me mm -hmm. in terms of, oh, these are the things that I dis that disgust me. These are the um, personality type attributes that scare me mm -hmm. because I can see myself going there mm -hmm. in the worst case of scenarios. Yeah. I, I think with the, I don't, I think seeing the part of your type that is the most unhealthy, I think for all of us, it kind of brings that disgust out. It's that projection, right? We tend to hate what we fear in ourselves and just overall. Makes sense. And to me, yeah, when I look at, when I see, when I f know an unhealthy eight, I don't want anything to do with that. Even if a relatively healthy eight displays unhealthy behavior in some way, I'm literally like, nope, can't do that. Because like, if they can go there, I could go there with them. That's my thought. It might not be true, but. <laughs> and and for a nine, I would see a, see an unhealthy nine as um, the just so much sad, wasted potential. Oh, like, it's yeah. not that I'm scared to go there with them. It's It's that I'm sad for them. Oh, and it, oh. it hurts inside. Well, it's that, yeah, it's that they're at their worst. It's the, yeah. the sloth. Yeah, that's so hard. I So let's dig into some chatter around marriage. I think I 
you know, I will say I, I wish that we had had this tool when we were doing our marriage, like our premarital counseling and our pre-marriage course that we took. Yeah. For, I mean, when did we stumble upon this? Two years ago? No. I mean, it was like a year ago. Oh my goodness. So yeah, yeah, the first 13 years, this would have been an amazing tool (laughs) to have in our, our our arsenal of understanding what motivates one another. Yeah. Um, And I, I think that's the, the, the big kicker with the Enneagram is that you don't just have, you're not just explained, you know, it's, it's not just like, Hey, this is your type. This is who you are. It's, this is who you are in growth and stress. And this is why you do what you do. And this is what you're afraid of. And it was very hard for me to read what I would, cause I'm like, I'm not afraid of anything, like, which is not true. Right. <laughs> but I'm definitely not afraid of things that normal people, <laughs> non eights, no. are unlike normal people that non Enneagram eights are afraid of. I'm like, why are you afraid of that? It's fine. Uh, but they probably feel the same way about my fear, you know? And, and yeah, you could care less about conflict. It doesn't bother you at all and you could move on. (laughs) Um, and it's one of those things that will eat up all my energy (laughs) and leave me just kind of destitute. Um, if there's conflict that needs to be resolved, oh, I, I, there goes my whole day. But, you know, I think throughout our whole marriage, even before learning about the Enneagram, I think it was really, I think we both have been the type of person where we have to deal with the conflict right then and we can't let it eat away if we're in an active argument. If we weren't in an active argument, it was like, you'll let it eat away for sure and I just won't even know anything is wrong. Yeah, you won't know. It just chews. (laughs) It's been chewing on me for three days. And you're like, what? Where is this coming from? It's like, how can you not see where this is coming from? <laughs> because I'm oblivious to it. Oh my gosh. And I also, I feel, I feel like, I don't know. I, I tend to believe that unless you tell me everything is fine. okay. Yeah. Which has been great. It's now hel- that I know that that's your default. Yeah. You, I'm not going to assume anything is wrong. Don't be broody. Okay. In the corner over there while you're mad at me. And then that's not specific for you, but just in general. Like, I'm not saying it, it's happened. <laughs> but, it's, <laughs> yes, it has yeah. happened, but I wasn't referring directly to you. It's just, yeah. don't make me like work for it. Don't make me try to like figure out. I've had friendships in the past where they do the like, <laughs> I'm so just mad at you and I'm like oh my gosh what first of all what grade are we in right now second of all I'm not gonna dig for you to tell me if it's worthwhile for me to know that you're mad at me then just tell me but we just really want you to figure it out and see things from our perspective gross. okay gross yeah. I will if you talk to me about it yeah. it's, just been, it's be, been a learning curve be direct <laughs> so anyways I think the the Enneagram has been really impactful for our relationship and it's one of those things that I really wish we had had because I feel like it goes so much deeper. And, you know, like you mentioned, seeing seeing the unhealthy parts of a nine make you cringe. Like that's the potential of who you could be in your number or who I could be if we allowed that, if we had the circumstances that If you had certain people that. in your life that, sure, that yeah. kick Pe- you that way. People, situations, whatever yeah. it is. And so I think seeing that, you know, it's almost like there's some warning signs there where you can see it and steer away and you can know that about yourself. But I think the favorite part for me when it comes to marriage is, is knowing what motivates you 
and not just how you act, but why you act that way or what you do, but how you like, why you do what you do. And, and to me, that's, I feel like I've gained so much clarity and not only in my own personality, but also how like our core motivations as individuals impact how we communicate and how we exist in our relationship and in the world. Well, it allows us to, to say things to one another in a way that resonates. Yeah. It, it's almost like an amplifier uh-huh. that allows the other person to hear what you're saying if you say it in a way they like to hear things. Yeah. I, I don't know if I... <laughs> I definitely don't say things in the way that you like to hear things. You do sometimes, though. <laughs> like, uh, for example, when you have time... Could you please sure. do this? Yeah, giving just lending a little more patience to yeah, you. Yeah, not you time to. Could think. you go do this? And then I feel like I need to hop to it, kind mm, of thing. Yeah, especially since we've had a had a kid and you were stuck with this little kiddo, and I was doing a lot of things to kind of ease that transition. Mm, and he's so I got about into when he was home with me when oh, little man. when little man was a baby. It was a great time. Yeah, but it was also a very um, let's let's um, do a lot of. I don't know. I don't know what to say there. <laughs> well, I I think, you know, back to the core motivations, I think the the thing that's helped me the most in just allowing for less conflict in our relationship overall and just see just seeing you and and giving you space to think and act and do in whatever way you need to, not the way I need you to or want you to. Um is just knowing that kind of core motivation of avoiding conflict and how cr- it's just so crazy to me that we could have such a healthy marriage when you you're literally the definition of conflict avoidant and I almost seek it. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I say almost, I probably should just say I seek it. Uh, so, but but all of mine is always in an effort to protect myself and the people that I love. And I've come to understand that 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 it, conflict is not a negative thing. Um, positive things can grow from those conflicts um, and really beautiful things that a conflict can make it happen quickly, mm. whereas avoiding that conflict will just drag things on and they and just stay the same and then it'll still happen but it's going to be really uncomfortable with how you get there why why not just hit the nail on the head and then at least know where you stand after that like be mad or don't be mad or be in a good be in relationship or don't be in whatever it is you know whoever the conflict is with whatever it's about yeah one of the beautiful things <clears throat> about being married to an eight um especially where i stand as as this conflict avoidance um, let's just go with the flow kind of human is, um, you really make a storm sometimes. And <laughs> if it's channeled, I, I it kind of picks up my sails and off I go. Um, mm. and I, I don't mind picking up the flag mm. and running with it as, as long as I know we're all headed in the same direction. Yeah. And we can agree on it and I can see the motivation behind it. And um, yeah, I will I will uproot everything and move to a new place if it makes sense to do so. So 
Not without a little dragging your feet. <laughs> Let's be honest. Only out of fear. <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh, he's referring to when we moved to Colorado from Oregon for my grad school. It made to, sense. I tried to give you as much stake in that decision as I could. I was not going to live in California. <laughs> oh, Cal Poly Technical University was not a not an option, which made me a little sad. But there's no snow. There's no mountains. I'm out. <laughs> You're out. Uh, one of the things that has been really, I think, very interesting is I feel like I can spot when you're actively trying to avoid a conflict and kind of call you out on it because sometimes the action is warranted and it makes sense and in the long play of things, it's going to help you. But sometimes it's like, oh, you're being passive aggressive to avoid and you're avoiding that conflict. And I think one of the interesting things that's happened is me being able to show you on occasion, this is not always the case, that sometimes avoiding the conflict actually makes the conflict worse. And when I explain it to you that way, you tend to say... It's very difficult to digest. Yeah. Because that means that I, I'm wrong in the way I'm thinking about it. You're actually not avoiding the conflict. No. Even though you think you are. I'm... I'm shooting myself in the foot. Yeah. Or, you know, the less direct that you are in that situation, the worse it's going to be. Those sorts of things. It's been a really interesting. And my, I hope that I help you like assert yourself a little more and I take up a little more space. You're very encouraging yeah. in that. Yeah. Um, not just in our own personal relationship, but like in your other relationships. In my other relationships to, to kind of be like, hey, this is what I need out of this relationship yeah. and to actually reach out and go for it. Yeah. And you allow me to see all sides instead of just barreling straight through something, which is my tendency to that just... That is what I'm hoping to do. <laughs> it's working. Okay, good. <laughs> it's working. It makes me a better makes me a better coach. It makes me a better mentor. makes me a better teacher. Who knew I would actually end up being some sort of teacher? It's pretty funny. You're good at it. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I've always said this, but if I could have a like a superpower, mm. it would be to be in someone else's shoes, not in a creepy way, um, for thirty seconds or more, just to see life from their perspective, to see what makes them tick, to know what made them the way they are. And I think if you could do that and then step away and understand that person, you could move mountains. Mm. Yeah, that's really powerful. I don't I don't know how much I have to add or say about that other than you're showing me that every day and I try to drink it in tiny little amounts so I don't try to fight it. <laughs> yeah. That's what I try well, to I'm, do. Most of my days I'm stuck in a middle school classroom mm -hmm. and uh, the the goal is not necessarily to teach specific curriculum, but also to teach kids just to be kind mm. to their peers and know each other's names. To I care. think is really important to care. To care. Um, and they're in their defense, biologically, they're stuck in a me 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 
ego driven it's a pretty brutal time moment of of their life and to know that that's just one chapter of their lives and it's not the whole book Mm -hmm. kind of thing um that's kind of the real goal yeah just to turn selfish humans into understanding humans Mm -hmm. if i could do that then I, i would feel pretty good about my career yeah so and I, I think that just bodes to like the strength of a nine too, is just seeing all sides. And I think nines probably make damn good teachers, at and least trying to from be, what I see. Trying to be fair. And that's yeah. one of those things that you and I resonate with is yeah, deeply that, that injustice and that just rooting on that, that underdog that, that we see and you see it in, in your field and I see it every day. Yeah. And it's like, okay, we can do this together. And just, so we resonate on that justice. Yeah. We have a really interesting situation in which, I mean, you're, we think you might be a nine wing eight. We don't know. I don't know. I can't decide. It's nine, one, nine, No way. Eight. You won't decide? Yeah, right? <laughs> he just I'm, needs, he needs some more time, people. Okay. I need to think about Here's it. Here's what I know. Josh is a nine wing eight. I don't know. Don't. <laughs> don't quote that and i i believe and then i am an eight wing nine for sure and so we have a lot of intersection in our numbers for how different we are in terms of you know kind of our reactions and interactions with humans and conflict and and all of that we have so many of the things that we do connect in the sense that we are both out to do what is right, what is just, and what is fair. And most of the time, we, from to our core, agree on what fairness is, you know, and that's been a really helpful thing. And I think something that gave a little bit of language to why we did what we did over the years and what motivated us. But really what I would argue what kept us together. Mm, interesting. What do you mean by that? I mean that we understand what's fair and so we treat each other accordingly. Sure. Yeah. So it's one of those core things that we've always used in our relationship to find common ground. Yeah. We've always had a lot of mutual respect and I think that fairness piece is, is pretty prevalent. And I think at any point in our relationship where either of us were being selfish um we could call each other out using that language using the language of Of this is not fair yeah and it was something we both understood and recognized and valued and respected to the point that we could kind of get through things Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i i think for me one of the more interesting parts of this kind of nuanced conversation around the Enneagram is digging into not just your type, but the type that you move toward in growth and stress. And for a nine, you move toward a six in stress. So you take on, whenever you move toward a particular number in stress, you take on the um, more unhealthy characteristics of that number. And so sixes tend to be in that like in that unhealth, they're in that doomsday prepper, 
everything's going to go wrong, you know, space where they have to kind of prepare for all the bad scenarios that could happen. I've been there. (laughs) And I know you have a little bit of that in you. And there's good, there's good parts of that though, too. You know, one of the things that, you know, my friend Brianne, who's been on the podcast a couple of times and she's, we had an episode about vulnerability that was really wonderful. And she always says to me, like, you, you know, when you go to a place in stress, you're also going to a place of protection. So you're, there's also an element there where you're protecting yourself and it's not all bad. You know, we're, we're preserving our, our sanity, ourselves, our, our beliefs or whatever it is when we're going to that space. Yeah. And not even ourselves. I, I would argue that you're preserving you, the, the people you care about as well. Well, you are as a nine. <sighs> I do have a couple bags of rice and I, some water in the barn. I get real selfish go. when I go to my fiveness. Um, and so, so anyway, so you move toward a six in stress and I move toward a five. And so I think that brought a really interesting conversation for us around, you know, what does it look like when we're kind of in that dark place? And, and it's been a process for me to actually recognize that I have a dark side, even though I've always seen myself as a very like, like badass, hard hitting, strong, having a dark side doesn't really feel very strong to me. It feels kind of vulnerable, right? You're acknowledging that you have negative thoughts, that you have, uh, this side to you that has more fear than maybe you'd like to admit. Well, and your dark side is the the biggest sign when, when you're in that space is a lack of energy. Yes. Yeah. And feeling like you have to protect your time mm-hmm. because you don't have enough of it and there will yeah. never be enough of it. Correct. And, and so that's the, it's definitely a warning sign and I, I've seen it a few times, but, yeah. but for me, that dark side is all just everything's going to go wrong. How do we fix? How do we prep for all of it to go wrong? And I don't like being in that space because I don't feel, I just don't feel good about it. Mm. Well, I think it's, it's helpful for us to be able to kind of spot those things. But I think from a humanity standpoint, it's helped me to see exactly what you're scared of within your typing and obviously that's different for each person as far as how that gets applied but it's helpful for me to know what you're scared of because then I understand you know not just what motivates you to take that action in the first place but maybe what motivates you to not take action or to kind of sit in something for too long or stagnate and and the same goes for me I get sloth I get stagnant I get you know, I'm in, I'm in that, you know, energy deficiency space and it's, it's easy to see now. And, you know, I always, I mean, Genevieve always jokes. She's like, when you're, when you're real quiet, you're always either like nose to the ground, like working your ass off or you're like retreating. And then I'm like, where's Cassie? We need to reach out. <laughs> we need to, we need to pull her out of her. Wake up Cassie. Her, her slumber. Everything's going to be okay. Oh, Oh gosh, I hate to even admit that that's a thing, but I think, yeah, that's been a really, a really helpful part for me because it helps me, you know, it's always helpful to understand where the other person is coming from and what motivates them and how they take action. But it's those little pieces where I can like look into it and be like, oh, he's scared of this happening. 
And then I can, we can kind of walk backward from that with you and kind of talk you down from your, from your anxiety ridden ledge. (laughs) It's not a ledge. It's more like a bunker. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Talk me up out of the bunker. Um, Mine's a ledge. Just jump off of it. It's fine. mm, You'll be fine. But then, then the other side of it that I, I lean into being an achiever when things are going great mm-hmm. and this creative side that I, I really enjoy being in that mode. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gotten to do a little bit of that lately with kind of, I have the freedom to kind of build a little elective curriculum for a class and it's, um, it's been enjoyable again um, to find something fun to talk about, something new, something that I think um, the, the elective is, uh, food and you for my, my middle school students. And I'm enjoying creating content. Um, and content is a lot of work. It is. This I know. (laughs) So much work. Yeah. But when it's fun, it doesn't feel like work. Mm. And I like that. And it's been a while since I've been in that space. Yeah. Um, so just like leaning toward achievement in Mm -hmm. general, they always, uh, Ian Morgan Cron always talks about nines as like the immovable object. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. You're like, just like rooted. You're steady and you're consistent and you're rooted. And if something takes you out like upwards, you're like, no. And the language we've always had around that was that you struggle with change or like transition but being uprooted when you're in a healthy place as a nine is is liberating. It's fun. Um, and and moving, feeling that progress is what's really, um, I guess, exciting. Okay. Yeah. And then being uprooted because of fear when you lean towards that other, that sick side of, of my personality, that that is just devastating. Oh, yeah. The Enneagram is so lovely, but it's so brutal. It's pretty brutal. It's like a balancing act. <laughs> Do you feel very exposed? Very tippy. Very tippy. Yeah. You know, I think just to be super real with everybody, we've had, you know, many, many, many years to have many, many conflicts, but we've only ever had, you know, one kind of season that really like rocked us as a couple. And you know, I think throughout that time, had we had the language that we've learned, it's like an, it's like another, literally, it's like another language to talk about things. And we've, you know, we had dug, we know about the five love languages and we know about our tendencies and all that stuff. Back then we only knew like the love languages and we had done birth order in yeah. our premarital counseling. That was Which really, is fascinating. It was super fascinating, but I don't think that even, you know, most of the stuff to me that was explained in birth order is actually explained in the Enneagram. Yeah. It's different. It's so different. And in a more um, useful way. Yeah. Yeah, The birth order was interesting, but it just seemed very like, this is just the way it is, matter of fact. Um, And that's how a lot of personality assessments are. But, you know, the, the, the thing that everyone says, the quote that everyone gives when they're describing the Enneagram is it describes the Enneagram tells you what box you put yourself in and how to get out of it. It doesn't put you in a box. 
And Ugh. I think a lot I of... I like that. Yeah. And I, th- I, I, th- I like it too. I, I don't know who originated it, but everybody says it. <laughs> and it's something to where, you know, you, you read and then it's like, oh, okay, well, we got to be on a growth path now. Like we got, we got some things to do. Once you know better, you do better. <laughs> yes. So good. I love that so much. I, so when we learned about the Enneagram and I went like full bore into it and really, I mean, let's be real, super intensity over here. I love, I love to go all the way. I go a little bit or I go, or I go zero or I go all the way. That's what I do. Like, what was your perception when I started digging into it and learning a ton? And I wanted to take you with me. I was like, you have to listen to this nine chapter and I have like so many aha moments, but I definitely felt a little bit of resistance from you when it, well, you when were we listened so to your excited chapter. about it. And I think there's some, some other where there's like a song. It was, I think that's where it kind of started for you. This, some that, song that you discovered that was like, Oh, this, this is rocking me to my core. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, your song is coming out soon. And I heard the song and was like, I don't like it. It doesn't. <laughs> I don't like it. So Josh is referring to the Sleeping at Last Enneagram uh, project. And it's from his Atlas 2 project. I'll link it in the show notes for you guys. We've talked about it quite a few times on the podcast. But the Enneagram 8 song lyrics are, if you're an 8, like, go listen to it right now. You'll cry. You will cry. (laughs) Um, Even if you don't like the actual music, like even if the music isn't your style. Just listen to the lyrics, read the lyrics even. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, And I had never, but you know, actually what was the most transformative for me in learning the song was listening to how Ryan, I can't remember his last name, but he does music under the guise of sleeping at last. He interviewed Chris Hewerts on his podcast and there was a podcast episode dedicated to each song and he talked, you know, in depth with Chris Hewerts, who's an Enneagram expert on each type and why they do what they do and what are some things they've experienced and the childhood, unconscious childhood message that they get and all of that. And, you know, he mentioned a few things that I really keyed in on, like the rejection of the nurturing caregiver during that time after the betrayal. And it was just like things made sense to me that had never made sense to me because I was really rejected my mom as a teenager. And that's just not something all teenagers do. It's not just a teenager thing. It was. No, because your mom was like the the best. best, like the best. Yeah. And I never understood that. It was me rejecting the nurturing mm-hmm. because the nurturing felt like manipulation. And to me, being in a relationship with you, I was like, oh my gosh, can't you see your mom just loves you to death? Like to death. And, and I don't want anything to do with it. And you didn't want anything to do with it. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is this is brutal. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, but I can look back on that now and I've got, I've got language for that. I understand that. No, she, um, she would do anything for you and you just wanted to be as independent as humanly possible. Um, because the message that I had gotten was that no one was going to take care of me, but me and that I was just going to be betrayed, disappointed, blindsided and not taken care of. And no matter how much she was there for me, I couldn't. 
allow it. I couldn't see her. It would be too much vulnerability for you. Yes. Because then I would have to say that someone had hurt me. And so it was, I've been hurt. I won't be hurt again. So I'm done with everything and everyone. And it was pretty amazing. It's kind of amazing that I let you in during that time to me. So Josh and I started dating in between our sophomore and our junior year of high school. So a long time ago. A long ass time ago. <laughs> it was 18 years ago. Um, that was fun. It was fun. Yeah. We were kids. And you came into my life in a time, it's really interesting. And I think, again, I've said this on the podcast before, but I, I think that there are very few people in my life that I'm extremely close to, like that I feel like I can be vulnerable with for sure. Right. That's that very small, you know, group of people. And I have a lot of friends, but I don't have a lot of friends who really know me, like really know me. And, and some are, you know, some make an effort and some don't. And it's, you know, there's a whole, it's a whole thing, but I, it's pretty rare for me to really open up. And one of the things that has happened in my life that I can see really clearly when I look back and say, well, why are these relationships for me stronger and safer and just something that kind of stand the test of time? And those are the ones in which I was forced to, to be, be vulnerable. vulnerable. And that happened with you. I, I was absolutely in a situation in which I was forced to be vulnerable. There was no one else to talk to about this stuff. And... And I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Right place, right time. <laughs> and that's true of a few of my friends too. Yeah. You know, it was during like a, not always like a rock bottom sort of a situation, you know, it wasn't like flailing in some way. It didn't look like I was flailing, but on the inside I was. And of course on the outside it would never look like. No, no. <laughs> cool, collected, Yeah. completely <laughs> logical. But... I, anyways, we kind of we kind of got off on a I'm, this whole episode is basically tangents just mashed together, but I, you know, I think I think if we had known about the enneagram going through like the most stressful part of our marriage where really everything almost fall, fell apart, um, it I mean and it kind of did we just made the decision to re- rebuild it, and I would not trade that by any means we know each other and our ourselves and we communicate better and there's just so many things that so much good that has come but i think you're right if we'd have known and had this tool and been able to yeah. articulate what we were feeling I didn't and what even we were know. thinking i didn't even know and so many of the conflicts that we've had had to do with me you, you normally a nine would be the one who would kind of hang on to a feeling and not say anything. And so for me, it was, I, I had a feeling, I just didn't know what it was. So it got hung on to for a long time because I couldn't articulate it and didn't try to, and didn't know really what that looked like for me. And so it's been, it's, yeah, it's been kind of an extra piece that we can, can see things through a different lens that we can see things through to explain, you know, how our, how our choices, how our actions, how our words affect the other one and how we can adjust and compromise in order to show up better for that person. I mean, I hate to use the word compromise because I feel like, I don't know. It's, you feel like you're 
giving something up. I think um, there's a lot of, I think there's a positive look on the word compromise. I think you're totally right. In the past, I actually looked at the word compromise as like super negative. Yeah. But it's and I might have also done that essential. to you. <laughs> it's, and, and compromise for, for my personality is just like, that's, that's just part of the game. That's how you constantly compromise. Yeah. yeah. And you're willing to, um, compromise to the point that you have put yourself underneath mm. everything else and everyone else to make sure that everybody's got what they need and, and the whole group can move on. But there's a, a beautiful thing about compromise in that you all get to move on. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we've, we've made compromises and we, I'm okay with them. Me too. Yeah. But we made them together. It wasn't, yeah. no one's conceding. Correct. We're coming to an agreement that works for both of us yeah. and we're agreeing. And I think, I think compromise to me for the, for the younger, more unhealthy version of myself was, was a weakness. You don't compromise. Like you know, well, we're not compromising our beliefs here. We are taking action that allows you to meet the other person in the middle. Look, that's just being a good human, <laughs> you know, which I wasn't always. So there's that. Who is? Right. We all, we all have growth. We all have growth. So I, I think, you know, for most marriages and committed relationships out there, the thing that that I found in conversation with friends and family is that you kind of tend to circle back around to the same arguments over and over again and in the same cycles. And all those arguments are different for different couples, right? But we have had the same arguments our entire marriage. Yep. They might be different versions or applications, but they're exactly the same. And I feel like just now we're starting to break that a little bit with this knowledge because now we can kind of see when we're in that rut and it's been able, it's been really helpful for me to have more objective language to kind of jump into it with and take more of an outside view looking in. And I'm, I feel personally like for both of us, I've been able to, to just take things less personally in general in those ruts because before they felt very personal. I felt very like attacked anytime, you know, these, these kind of issues that would, would just constantly come up. They would come back up and we're not going to get in those today because this is not a therapy session and we're 52 minutes in. So, <laughs> but I will say I, it's been really helpful for me to see now a little bit more objectively, like what are those ruts that we have and why do we get into them? And looking at it from this personality perspective rather than, you know, you trying to, to, I don't know, make me angry or <laughs> being intentional about it. So it's, it's just changed that for me. And I think it's allowed me personally to ex extend some more patience to you as a nine to just both of us to extend more kindness to one another and forgiveness and just give a little more space for, for that grace. Well, not only that, and I, I would go the other way. It's, it's shown me that you have a desire for intensity and you want to be matched in that, not with every disagreement or anything like that, but 
if I decide to take a passive approach, it drags whatever might be on your mind kind of way too long and we just need to get it done with and <laughs> and we need to talk it out like now and as soon as we can figure that out we can move on with our lives and um i don't have to play this like game and it's been nice i don't like games no it's been nice to know that i shouldn't play the game Stop, especially not with me. Yeah. And this is the game that I call you out on when you're playing it with other people. Mm-hmm. It's this long drawn out tennis game of back and forth conflict. Is the game over? Like, do we have is a it, conflict? It's like, it's is like there going to be one? It's like when I'm watching a tennis game, I'm always like, wait, is it, does someone score a point? I don't know what's happening. Is the game over? Is it like, I'm just, it's very nuanced. I'm very confused with tennis <laughs> <laughs> and all sports, really. By the way, we're recording this on Super Bowl Sunday because fifteen ne- love. Neither by one the of way, us, neither one of us care. So yeah, I don't even know who was playing, <laughs> and or do I care? No. So maybe this isn't a good episode for for my man card. <laughs> Your man card is intact. Great. Trust me. Awesome. Also, it's all women that listen to this, so you're going to be fine. (laughs) Our male listenership is very low. (laughs) I mean, yeah, this is this is not a podcast for directly for men. Not that you can't. I apologize to all the guys out there who are loving the Super Bowl, and I am ruining things. You're not ruining anything. It's over the years, though. I have had lots of friends be like, "So, what's it like to have a husband who doesn't care about sports on TV?" And I'm like, "Excellent." Does also, it affect my life directly? No. Will yeah. it ever? No. Do yeah. I care? No. Yeah. And not, it, it's again, like, just like you said, it's not bad if you do. You have things that you care about that people could give zero shits about. Like, the, we all have that, right? But your your priorities are just different. So, um, yeah, I, I, it's really interesting. I, I, th- I don't know all of the ways in which I ask you to kind of match my intensity, but definitely in like a discussion, I want, I want that ping pong. I want it back and forth. I want that. Which occasionally <laughs> I need to just sit down and write, write, um, and take 10 minutes away from the conversation <laughs> this, um, to not, just know yeah. what I think and how I feel and how I'm going to respond oh. in kind. So I don't um, even necessarily mean when we're in an argument. Mm-hmm. I just mean when we're discussing something that's interesting, you know? Yes. It takes me, I need a I, th- I need a pause button. <laughs> I don't have any pause buttons. I wish you, I have I in the console that is me. There is no pause button. <laughs> it would be super, super uh, helpful. One of the things that we've, uh, that Jess talked about in the Enneagram eight and nine episode was, you know, as a nine, she's learned with her husband to say to him that, you know, she's like, I don't, I don't have an answer for you right now, but just like, just give me, give me a minute. Give me a day. Give me, you know, whatever. And like, I, I need, wish I had that ability yeah. to be like, I just give me a little bit of time. Instead, I just silently sit there and think <laughs> and try to respond in my head. And you're like, did you hear me? And I'm so like, he I, also I, oh has my gosh, I, I heard not you. the best hearing. Yeah, so it's true. In earnest, sometimes I actually don't know if he even heard me because more often than not, you actually didn't hear me. It does happen, which complicates the issue. That's for sure. We've got an instant pot going off in the background, which 
We're making the beef is ready. The beef is ready. The meaty neck bones are ready mm. in the broth. We're doing meal prep and doing this interview because that's how we roll. So anyways, uh, yeah, I, I wish I, I wish I had, I wish I had known. I mean, like, this is just like the overarching discussion here. Like, I wish I had known. And so many of those like constant ruts that we have had over the years, I feel like, you know, we'll never not have a rut or something that happens. You know, I don't, I don't think we're, we always will have our stuff. Well, I, I don't but, know if you agree with me, but I think it's safe to say that this is the most authentic and um, real with one another. We've, we've ever been. We've ever been over yep. the last year and a half or so. Yep. yep. And it's refreshing. Very. It's like, oh, I can be honest. And I, especially for me, I've been able to be brutally honest with you and i and usually, I'm not taking it personal anymore which is amazing yeah and i'm able to preface it with saying like please don't take this personally but i don't like that a lot just because then i know <laughs> something's coming that i'm not gonna <laughs> like you're not gonna like or i will literally say you're not gonna like this mm-hmm. i don't <laughs> but, like that either because it's usually true well should i just say it or should i preface it i don't know I think the what preface the best helps. thing is the I preface think, is probably preferred pre- but I think the preface helps in my in my <laughs> humble <laughs> humble opinion so i think also one of my favorite parts about learning about the enneagram and then kind of approaching marriage is i feel like you know a lot of of my typeness my eightness and my meanness is meanness like it's you know I tend toward being selfish and you tend toward being more selfless in your approach to things and sometimes you forget self in the process of of bending to others and often I forget others in the process of leaning toward my own self and intuition and motivations and so ego is big for an aid and and I don't mean ego in a negative sense I just mean ego as a as a thing you know we we all have ego and I one of the things that's been really helpful for me in just seeing you more is knowing your strengths within the Enneagram and really seeing in the relationships and situations that bring those out in you and it's really cool to have that different approach. And, you know, there are times in our conversation in our home that I feel like we're Enneagram obsessed or that I am because we'll talk about a situation and I'll be like, oh, that's the nine that's coming out. And not always saying that in that it's a bad thing, yeah. but just, you know, we, we kind of, it's a different, it's a language that we have in our conversations. And, you know, you'll talk to me about one of your coworkers and I'm like, oh, he's such a four, you know, and you're not supposed to type other people. I know that, but it's been a really helpful thing for us to actually look at, you know, what motivates other people in these situations and relationships that we're in. Coworkers, family yeah, members. Yeah, we, we had a really interesting conversation this weekend about, about some of like the dynamics in co-working relationships for both of us. And, but anyways, I mean, back to, I, I, I'm able to see like why you're such a great teacher and why you are able to see all sides and, and what you can do with that. And I think that's a beautiful piece of it that I don't think it's talked about enough. I think within the Enneagram, we're able to, to see like the bad, the negative part of yeah. ourselves, the scary parts of but ourselves. But there's also this powerful part. Very powerful. It's it's just powerful to know yourself. 
um, in general, but it's very powerful to know yourself and know others and be in relationship at the same time and have all of those things together. And it's been just really fun to see you grow in your own self-awareness over the last year and a half. That's not a path you would naturally take. No, because unless you're in a place of, I mean, of growth. And, and when I, you know, described that, you know, healthy version, we were taught, we were reading some descriptions earlier about, you know, the unhealthy version of each type and then up to the healthy version. And the middle is kind of that average or like autopilot place and the healthy nine is like, yes, self-development, you know? Yeah. And, and and I, I really do lean into the self-development when I'm not stressed. Mm -hmm. When I'm stressed, then, then that is at the bottom of my list. I just need to get out of the stressful situation and then we can go back to peace and calm and tranquil. Yeah. How, how can you grow when you're in like disaster mode? You can't. And so (laughs) there's going to be a tsunami. (laughs) I, which I don't go to certain beaches <laughs> because their tsunami evacuation routes are not adequate fun. enough um, for me to sleep near the ocean. So, yes, I have some beach recommendations for anybody who is also afraid of tsunamis. We're talking about the Oregon coast, though. Yeah. So... <laughs> This is the hilarious part. I'll never forget. Like I told you, I was like, I want to go to the beach for a weekend by myself. And you're like, ha, ha, okay. And so he had a lot to say about where I was going to stay. And you wouldn't actually say why at first. It was, there was no conversation no, because around. Because I wanted to make it your idea without <laughs> uh, imposing my fear, my illogical fear. Let's truth be told, it's, it's not going to happen um, probably in our lifetime, but I didn't want to curb your decisions based on a fear-based choice because that feels... So here's what I... I'm going to just validate you for a minute is it's not an illogical fear. There's logic behind it because they're empirical. there's empirical evidence that suggests we're due for yeah. a massive earthquake, which is going to cause a huge tsunami. Well, I'm not saying I'm illogical. I'm no, very it's, logical. N- it's not an illog... It's not irrational. It's not irrational. It's rational and logical. It makes sense to me. The thing that doesn't make sense is the not telling me that that's the reason why. <laughs> and it was, well, you don't want to go there because this is just a great beach to be here. And this, it was like, you're trying to sell me on all these locations in which there was like a really good tsunami evacuation route. I had but the now, maps on my but computer. But now it's so funny. <laughs> but now it's so funny to see that and be like, oh, that's Josh in his sixth space. Yeah. Just... You know, what if you get caught on the other side of all these bridges that are washed out and I'm over here and we can't get to you? And it's just, I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, we're going there. All right. I'm just worried about like getting through this weekend. I don't know what's happening. (laughs) I'm very forward oriented, you know, and that's like extremely forward. That's more forward than I could ever think. Yeah, like every 300 years forward. Yeah, I don't plan ahead very well. We're, We're working on it. We are working on it. And I'm going to try not to live in fear. (laughs) While I do that. (laughs) Oh, but I think, yeah, I think it's been really lovely to see like where your strengths are. And I think really working hard to complement one another. I think nines and eights can be a really powerful couple together. And I think all, all couples, you know, it's really interesting. People always have the question when it comes to Enneagram and marriage for Enneagram experts, of which I am not 
one, by the way, um, just super nerd on it and, and love talking about it. But the, the question everybody gets is, you know, what are the most compatible types? And everybody takes the same line. It's like any two people can, can make things work if you are working to understand one another. And that's where this provides that kind of extra layer of that and seeing that. Yeah, just knowing what motivates people to do what they do. And they're just underlining kind of wants, needs, desires is super helpful in understanding how to make a relationship work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's been really helpful for us to see to where we enable the other one to be unhealthy. And I think we're still kind of uncovering that, but I think that goes to the rut, the rut piece, but we don't see it as a rut because our unhealth is working together (laughs) to like maintain our unhealth or, or averageness, which is uh, hard to spot, I think. But, um, I read this quote, I was reading a blog article. I will link it in the show notes for you guys, just on the marriage, marriage in the Enneagram as I was kind of noodling over this stuff and, um, this author had just said, being able to give language to the way you are wired helps the other person see things from your viewpoint. And it also helps them develop a better script from which to talk to you. So that's how I wanted to wrap this is just, I feel like the way we talk to each other has changed a lot. The script. Yeah. It, the, I like that the quote. Mo- Yeah. The motivations, the things that we do, those things haven't changed. And even you know, the, the arguments that we get in, they're the same ones to discuss. It's all the, it's always the same, but, but we seem to get through them so much easier, way faster, way faster. And, and and it's way less loaded. It's so, it's so much more, like I said before, objective, constructive, not personal, because I know like you were formed and you became you before I ever entered the picture. And I didn't make you that way. And this relationship didn't make you that way. You just are who you are. And that has nothing to do with me. Literally has nothing to do with me. Now, if I enable unhealthy behavior or reinforce positive behavior, you know, all of that thing, that's that's different, right? We can compliment or yeah. unravel one another. Absolutely, absolutely. But, um, you know, we we became apart from one another. We became. And on that same note, we've been together for an obscene amount Since of time. We were 16. Yeah. And so we have also been complimenting one, one another for a long period of time. Yeah. And knowing each other's patterns and things like that. Um, but taking, only but only the actions that we take, not why we're taking them. True. And so now we've got talking points and things to say that we didn't have to say before. And I will say like, as far as the childhood stuff goes, it's been really interesting to kind of think about this as a possibility. But for me, I, you know, I'm always going back to like the economic side of things and you're like, what makes an eight or what makes a nine or that whole kind you of like process. The math. the math of it is very interesting to me. And what's the equation that <laughs> creates this type <laughs> yes. of human? And it turns out it's not anything. There's in no equation. <laughs> no, there's not. But she's going to keep looking for it. I am. It's very interesting. But I, I do find it really interesting that, that you grew up with uh, a 9-8 pairing yourself. And we also kind of think it's a possibility that I did too. Mm-hmm. Don't really know. My, my dad passed um, many years ago 
And I mean, gosh, eight, I would be eight years. But I definitely like, there's a strong possibility that that we grew up in very similar households with those similar dynamics and motivating factors. Yeah. Which is crazy. But I made two different types, but each of those types are similar to one of the parents. And I thought that was so super, super interesting. Well, and we, we (laughs) say that even with, with our little four-year-old, like every once in a while, I think, huh, there's a little bit of eight. And we've both on numerous occasions been like, whoa, Mr. Nine, um, you little <laughs> he's, peacemaker. He, he's such a little peacekeeper. Oh, it's pretty funny. It is hilarious. I, you know, we, in the, um, gosh, it was 86, episode 86 with Jess, where we talked about not typing your children. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a really interesting thing that I read was just that you, you can't really type a Todd like a little little kid because there's so much personality mirroring that they're doing at that mm-hmm. age. You know, they're just acting like you. So they observe that that was how you get around in the world and get what you want or whatever it is, and they're kind of emulating that. And so you can't really have a lot of stake in that. But there's been some really inherent, not motivated things he's done where I'm just like, wow. Yeah. For example, I think our kid is a nine. Yeah. The other day when. We were at a friend's house and um, his little friend was driving around one of those electric cars or whatever. The friend had to go inside and take some time to himself um, and it wasn't a good situation. Um, <laughs> he and really does not like conflict no. at all. And so I was like, all right, buddy, we got to go home. But before we go home, go park, go park his little car in the barn so that it doesn't rain on his car. And, and my kid which I totally understand why he did it because it's totally something I would do. He waited till his buddy got in the house and the door was shut to approach the car because (laughs) he didn't want his buddy to be more upset that he was driving his car. Oh, yes. But he really wanted to drive it, though. Oh, yes. Oh, he got in that thing and he flew. He thought it was great. But he was going to wait to avoid that. And and he so said, he put himself into another three-year-old's shoes. Which is amazing. I was like, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the funny part is I think a lot of his like emotional intelligence and intuition is literally centered around avoiding conflict. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, there's positive things you can do with it, but there's also things where it's like, well, I don't know if that's, you know, we can't avoid conflict always. I, and I, I think that looking at how we parent has been really interesting and thinking about the Enneagram too. I, he's just about the only human in which I turn into like just this giant puddle and I'm just super soft with him. Not really soft with anybody. Not you even. have a crazy amount of patience with him. Tons of hate. And I'm, and, th- and that was the thing we always kind of joked about before we had children was I was like, I am going to have so much trouble with patience. I am not a patient person, but I've got it all for him. I've got all the patients I have in a day. It's, you can have all of it. It's all yours, buddy. And, and to the, to, to the point of it's not going well sometimes, you know, in these kind of parenting moves I make, but I'm very like very slow and comfort seeking with him. And he's very sweet and sensitive as a, as a little boy. And we, we have that, we have a really soft relationship 
And a lot of what I've read about eights and their parenting style is that they often are like the natural disciplinarian and they're a little overbearing and and authoritarian, authoritarian. And like, this is the way this way or the highway. Like, and I think that's also like an unhealthy eight, but so much of this last year has been kind of getting in touch with that softer side of myself and allowing it to even exist, let alone like acknowledging it and working through it. Cause that's, those other steps. But <laughs> I have always been that way with him from the very beginning. And you have always taken the harder line with the parenting. And I and think that comes from being a teacher. It actually. does come from being a teacher, 100%. And but it's opposite of what I thought it was going to I think it was opposite of what we both thought it was going to be. No? Yes? Usually I'm very patient um, when it comes to a group setting, Mm -hmm. Um, but my expectations can occasionally be a little too high for a four-year-old. By occasionally, I mean quite often. Um, I took a drink of tea and I was trying not to spit uh it everywhere. The the, uh, pause that I often have to take with Josh with our son is, um, I think your expectations are a little high for a four-year-old it's true yeah yeah and your initial reaction is usually i don't think they are and then you're like well maybe. but i just want to keep the bar high okay <laughs> <laughs> oh but yeah i think it's, it's been a fun little observation just to see that i i feel like we kind of take the opposite at least for me personally i don't think you're necessarily the opposite of what i would expect but you definitely don't you take the harder line you're very consistent we're both very consistent parents um in general, but I, I definitely have moments of more moments of inconsistency because I tend toward that softness. Oh, he's got you wrapped around his little finger sometimes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm also not unaware of it. That's okay. <laughs> okay. I'm like perfectly aware and also perfectly okay with it. And so is he. And everybody's fine. Except you. <laughs> <laughs> Drives you nuts. So anyways... Well, I mean, this is, it's pretty funny. I think this is literally just the recording of a conversation that Josh and I would have in the evening after our kid fell asleep. Um, and we're up way too late. This pretty much happened a couple of nights ago, (laughs) way too late on a school night. And, uh, yeah, I hope this was helpful for you guys. I personally feel like the Enneagram has just been really transformative for me personally. And when I'm able to apply it to my relationships and just make things make so much more sense, I feel like I've struck a chord of a lot more balance in my relationships and for me, less conflict. And I actually, you know, I think the really interesting part about my own core feelings around conflict and all of that is that I think everybody assumes that like I'm seeking the conflict out and I actually don't, I don't want it. (laughs) Conflict is a conflict is inconvenient. It's inefficient. It gets in the way. It's annoying, but it's necessary and you just move through it. And that necessary piece is not something that you, you're like, no, it's not necessary. No, this could all be avoided if we just, um, chose to avoid it. No, <laughs> if we're direct and we see how we actually feel. So we're, we're a good, we we're a good balance in that sense. But I, I, f- I feel like this can be so incredibly transformative for, you know, for folks in their marriages and their relationships. And 
um, obviously this is just one example of one marriage and one, and two one personalities, little, one little eight, nine combination. <laughs> uh, but you know, one thing I will say is, you know, we've been talking heavily about the Enneagram on the podcast. And, uh, if you have met me, I have brought it up in the first 10 minutes that we've talked. <laughs> well, you've <laughs> for been, sure. you've been using this tool in so many new relationships yeah. that you're building. Um, it's with, really helpful with your business yeah. has been, uh, really, really fun to watch. Uh, those things kind of bloom right off the bat mm. and it doesn't take much time for you to warm up to anybody. Um, now that you understand that there's only so many different types that a person could be and, um, and kind of understanding what motivates different people to do what they do. Mm. And it's been a really, really helpful thing for not just your business, but just cultivating true, genuine, quick relationships. Mm-hmm. I go, I go hard and fast with yeah. people that I trust. It's, it's kind of allowed me at just a different lens in which to figure out like, can I trust this person? So it's a big thing. And there are levels I mean, like, you know, we were talking about in the beginning, like there are levels of vulnerability with me. There's levels of trust with me too. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the upper echelon of trust and this is like less than five people that have that in my life. Um, and Yeah, I, so, I mean, what I was getting at is that I think, I don't look at the Enneagram as, as this end all be all standard for everybody to use. I think there's a lot of people out there who, you know, probably aren't listening to this episode right now, (laughs) who are just like, yeah, it just doesn't resonate for me. Or, you know, maybe they haven't figured out their type or they can't quite, or they don't really care or see how it applies or you know, there's a lot of folks out there in the like Christian in the church community who see it. A, this is like a cult or idolatry or something that's kind of pulling attention away. And to me, it just explains, you know, how I became into myself and and how I can grow and and I see it in relationship, you know, to my relationship with Christ and my relationship with my partner and. Um, you know, why we all are the way that we are and, and who God made us to be. So like, I just, a little disclaimer, like, I think this is an excellent tool. It is not the only tool. And I think there are a lot of other fantastic tools out there for you to kind of come into a better language and relationships and understand one another better. And I think this, it's very layered for us. You know, the tendencies piece is really interesting and how that works for us with the four tendencies um, that's one that's really surprising to me for my, my own type is very surprising to me because most eights are rebels within the four tendencies that I know at least. And yeah. I'm an eight obliger and everybody's like, what the, what's going on there? <laughs> but that, I mean, it may, it makes more sense and, and why it takes you longer to come to a decision because you're questioning, I'm you're questioning, questioning everything and yeah. I've questioned it all. So you don't have to question me. <laughs> that's the part I need to work on. Uh, yes okay um so clearly i mean like the both of us we still we're not experts in this we still have we're not experts in marriage we we've got our ten thousand hours in each other but not not in you know being an expert in this field but i think if you haven't had an opportunity to dig into it with your partner 
and you're starting to go deeper on this thing with us on the podcast, like go figure this out in conjunction with your partner, go deep with them. And if they're resistant to it, you know, there's only so much you can do that. You got to stick on your own personal growth path when your partner is feeling resistant to something you're doing and they'll either come along or not. And both, yeah. both are fine. It can be kind of threatening for some people to yeah. be pulled out of the ruts yeah. that they are so comfortable being in. Well, if you had presented this to me, I think it would have gone differently. Oh, 100%. <laughs> You'd be like, what are you talking about? I'm out. I'd be like, bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this feels vulnerable. Yeah. What are you trying to get me to be vulnerable? <laughs> trying to you... control me? No. <laughs> <laughs> don't try to control me. Oh, that would have been fun. Oh, no, it's not fun. <laughs> I don't think it's fun at all. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's just it's one of many tools that you can kind of use in this in this conversation. And we kind of, you know, Genevieve and I always talk about like we mash together the I don't know, the the love languages, the four tendencies, the strengths finders, the Myers-Briggs, the Enneagram and kind of mash it all together in like how can we understand ourselves and how we show up in the world and the other people that we love and, and how they show up in the world and in our relationships. And I think there's just so much more work to do with it. But I feel like the Enneagram is one of those resources that's kind of never ending. Like I, I just discover a new piece of it, a new dynamic, a new... Or just yeah. a new way to look at yeah. something that has already been said and you thought you understood and 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 now they said it in a different way or somebody yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a really big expanding field. And I'm sure you guys have been geeking out alongside us with some of you know your favorite resources, which we've shared in, in previous episodes I won't do today. But I want to wrap with asking you one question. Go for it. How do you think our relationship has changed since we've learned about the Enneagram? Like, what's the biggest takeaway for you? It's been so much easier. Oh, ease. Yeah. Um, there's not this, um, there's no, well, there's still mystery, but like, I'm not, I don't feel like anything's going to sneak up. I don't feel like I don't know things. Hmm. Um, I, I know kind of what you're thinking now, whereas in the past I might've been completely unsure of where you stood, Mm. um, with maybe certain type of parenting style or, um, where we were headed in terms of living situations or whatever it might be. I was unsure where you stood and now I can kind of make a prediction on, and a fairly accurate prediction of where <laughs> you'll stand um, when things change. Mm. Yeah. I think I have... There's a lot of things that have kind of perplexed me about you over the years. Like Fair. I mean, it goes both ways. It's the same thing. You know, you've had that explained, but it's, it's why, why it takes you so long to make a decision or... Um, why you shut down when I give you too many options for dinner or (laughs) um, why you don't give your opinion or try not to burden other people. You know, there's so many pieces of that. And now all of those things just like at the drop of a hat make sense to me now. And now I can see again, obviously it goes back to like what motivates you, but um, I, I feel clearer I just feel our relationship feels more clear 
and it's just less complicated. Like you said, that the ease, the ease is there. It feels less complicated. And now we can kind of take it to the next step where we're helping each other navigate other relationships too. Not even navigate relationships, um, but push each other forward in, in just all aspects of life. Relationships included, mm-hmm. um, but business decisions, um, family decisions, mm-hmm. um, how we want to raise our kid. Yeah. All these conversations are not so daunting. Not so scary. Yeah. They don't have as much weight. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. I think on that note, you guys, thank you for coming on the podcast, babe. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad we could actually uh, do it. We did it. Yeah. We did it. And uh, we appreciate you guys for being here. I hope you're enjoying our Enneagram series episode. And if you haven't had a chance yet and you're loving the podcast, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review and let us know what you think. And uh, we love five stars, of course. We love five stars. So if you How many stars can you get? Five. Oh. Five is the max. Okay. We want the max. <laughs> it's like ha- a movie. Yeah. And we Got already it. have five out of five stars for our average. So Excellent. We're pretty, yeah, we're pretty stuck. I haven't even voted yet. <laughs> you do have the iTunes app. So get in there and do Deal. it. Josh is going to leave his review. You guys go leave your review, please. <laughs> is it biased to leave a review when yes. you're an interviewee? 100% biased. <laughs> Slash partner. I don't care. Give me your tacit agreement. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks for your time today. We appreciate you and we will see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Rebel Heart Radio. You can visit our website to submit a question at www.rebelheartradio.com. Or you can hop on our Instagram. You can ask us anything. We love to get to know you guys. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a review on iTunes. And we'll catch you guys on the next episode.